The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Hey, my name is Stacy Croft, and I am the pastor at our Music Row location. It's always fun to have um, familiar faces read and do our announcements for us. And um, I'm going to read for us the passage that that uh, wonderful story that um, Sally Sally Lloyd-Jones has written from that, uh, from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he woke and rebuked the wind and the sea, and said to the sea, Be still, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Why you still have no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know, um, it's been interesting during uh, this time as people are kind of getting outside and the weather's been great and I've seen a lot of people actually enjoying, we live near uh, uh, the Little Harpeth River and, and close to the Harpeth River, and a lot of people enjoying the water and the outdoors and taking kayaks and canoes. And my son asked me the other day, uh, he remembered that I had a kayak, a whitewater kayak, and he was saying, man, w- w- I wish we had one of those. I said, yeah, I kind of wish we did too still. And um, I remember I was thinking about the times when I was able to go. It was one of the most fun things is to go whitewater kayaking, different than just kind of peaceful lake water. <clears throat> it was such a fun experience. And I have a friend who uh, says that uh, everybody should have a hobby they could die doing. And um, I love how he says that. This is one of those hobbies. And I loved it because it really instilled kind of this fearful wonder in me for the river. And I remember, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but um, I remember going the first time and uh, going just, you know, right outside Chattanooga, a few great areas down there, especially for beginners like me, and seeing from the banks people who are kayaking, and it really is a different thing. Watching it from the side, you think, oh, that, that looks fine. But when your body's actually in the kayak, in the water, you feel the power that is really in control of you. <laughs> and um, I felt it often. One time in particular, I was learning how to surf. So this friend I was with taught me to turn and face the current that was coming off of a waterfall. Not a big one, be that, a small waterfall. And um, as I was doing it, I turned wrong and flipped. And thankfully, you have a helmet on. But I was actually pretty good under the water. I knew how to roll. Um, I, I practiced that. So I was actually pretty calm the, under the water. And as I was trying to get back up, I remember my head hit a rock uh, with my helmet on. <laughs> and I had such a headache, uh, even all the way traveling back from the river that day home, uh, that it just, oh, my head was ringing. And it just overwhelmed me, the power of what I was trying to deal with and, and just dealing with that fear. 
You know, Mark, who wrote this gospel, is speaking from a description of an eyewitness account. And, and Mark himself actually followed Peter as he followed Jesus. So we're actually not just reading this from the scriptures and hearing this story reaccounted in the Jesus Storybook Bible as just some story. We're actually hearing it from someone who is an active participant in the boat. Someone who actually experienced the fear. And, and not just that, Imagine Peter recounting this. Imagine Peter who had been on the water a lot. He was a fisherman. So he'd been in the boat. He'd been fishing before. He'd encountered storms. But there was something about this experience that was the next level. It was unmanageable. It was out of control. It it evoked fear in him. It evoked a lot in him. And, And you see the specific details of him recalling this just as the language says it was just uh, Jesus came just as he was and things like uh, uh, that he fell asleep on a cushion he was in the stern that these these small little uh, that there were other boats these small little details of Peter recalling this to Mark and writing it out so that we can see what it was it really that Peter and the other disciples really encountered you know, with all this profession, with everything that he had encountered on the boat and in the water and on the Sea of Galilee, you know, this was something extraordinary. He'd seen it, but there was something here that drew his fear out. And Jesus makes a connection between his fear and his faith that it's not so much you see in this passage that the storm is what's so overwhelming and causes the fear. It's actually what they realize is in the boat with them. So we're going to look at this passage in two things, about how fear drew out the faith and drew them more to a real faith. We're going to look at first what fear is. We're going to talk about fear. This passage just explains it, expresses it. And then we're going to talk about faith, fear and then faith. You know, the Sea of Galilee, where they were, sat 700 feet below sea level. It was like in a bowl. Imagine that, below sea level. So it was uh, in a mountainous range, so it was like a big old bowl. And then when storms would come, they would roll off and come way down into it. And if, when a storm hit, it hit hard. And they were used to these, just as I said. I mean, think about these fishermen. This wasn't the first time they were on a boat, and definitely not the first time they had encountered a storm. But something about this felt more unmanageable to them. The, the waves coming in, something more to it. You know, even in their past, the Jewish people recognized this. this is, they had an ancient view of the water. They had an ancient understanding of what the sea was like. It was chaotic. It was unmanageable. Even from the beginning, what they had learned as, as, as children, from even the beginning of the, the Bible itself, how God himself calm this chaos that was the water that had to be spoken to that it was unmanageable it was out of control but as Peter's remembering this I think let's let's take for a moment his reaccounting this and even with the other disciples when they're encountering this fear they're just not they're not only encountering what they're out of control of but they're also what it does to them it draws out them feeling small they they begin to find themselves not just out of control, but uncertain, not knowing what's happening next. And in some ways, we need to first realize fear isn't sinful. Fear is recognizing that there's some danger there. That's not what this is about. But the point of fear here is to reveal. See, actually what fear does is it reveals our true hearts. What we fear 
reveals what we really long to protect us, to keep us safe, to guard us. So where do your fear, the question really is, first off, right off the bat is, where do your fears drive you? I mean, we could ask that a million ways. I'm sure we've had a lot of conversations about it, with fears that we've had currently. What, what have our fears driven us to? And what do we look to to protect us in our fear? You know, as it said, that even here, as they, the great windstorm arose and, and it was already filling, verse 37, and you can just see them. You can just see them trying to get the water out. I mean, they're trying to, trying to keep the boat afloat. They're trying to manage everything they can to hold it together. And yet they can't. It, it feels inadequate. It, things that they would feel most adequate doing as fishermen, regular on the boat, dealing with this, water coming in, Isn't it when we think we're supposed to feel most adequate and yet we're out of control when fear has its reins on us? When it holds them. To to consistently want to to say, I'm going to give, I'm going to work hard to manage this situation so I don't have to encounter what I know I don't really have adequacy in. That we can try and remain adequate. We can try and remain in control. We can try and hold on to it so that we don't feel the fear. And so we try and hold it together. Or maybe, maybe it's not just us looking at ourselves to hold it together. Maybe we're looking to someone else to protect us in our fear. Maybe a politician. Maybe a boss. Maybe a spouse. Maybe a friendship. Maybe a child. Maybe a job. Maybe a financial stability. What what do we look to to give us some sort of protection, to give us some sort of managing in the middle of our fears? Because that's what we really are. We want to be great manipulators of our circumstance. And if we can, then we can minimize our fear, right? But there's nothing like feeling when you have all of your insecurity, all of your inadequacies out there when fear really has its day. You know, Jerry Rice, who is a a star receiver for the 49ers, NFL, uh, San Francisco 49ers years ago, when he was inducted to the Hall of Fame, he said this, and this was part of his speech. I thought it was fantastic. He says, my single regret about my career is that I never took time to enjoy it. I was always working. I was afraid to fail. The fear of failure is the engine that has driven me my entire life. The reason they never caught me from behind is because I ran scared. People always are surprised how insecure I was. The doubts, the struggles is who I am. See, the question really isn't if we are afraid or if we are adequate. The question really is is that we aren't. We know that we don't measure up. We run scared. We really are insecure. We want anything and everything to protect us. And we try and manage it in that way so that we don't have to feel small. So we don't have to be uncomfortable. We, look to, we walk away from conversations and ask ourselves in our brain, did, did everything, is that okay? What do they think of me? We, we, we look at things to try and hold us together and to look put together so that we don't look inadequate or don't come across as insecure. But the truth is we are. I love his honesty there. And I think the scariest thing of all, and I know this to be true of my own self, is that if people really saw me for who I am, they would just see me as a phony. They would see me as 
a complete phony and see right through me that I don't have it all together. I can't manage it. I can't do it all. And that's what this passage is. These are fishermen, right? I mean, let's look at it this way. For you Enneagram folks, what is your default, you know? What do you run to in unhealth? You know, these these fishermen on this boat, what do they run to when they're thinking, gosh, we should have this together, but we don't. What do we run to when the storm is unmanageable, when all of us are brought to our knees, when all of us, if we really thought about it, are not in control at all? And the other side of that coin is, do we only go to God when things are out of control? You know, I'm curious, even now, I even want to say this, if, if, especially if there are people watching who may or may be struggling with Christianity, maybe asking their questions of faith, uh, maybe encountering this. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for participating and listening and, and, and taking this in and asking the questions. And, and I would even throw this out as a challenge. Is, is God only helpful or useful when life feels unmanageable? When the water's coming in and we have to say, do you even care? Like, do you care? Uh, if you want a good book to read right now, uh, a great book. Uh, is called Cry of the Soul. It's actually an older book uh, by a man, uh, two men wrote it, uh, Dan Allender and Trimper Longman. And it's taking the Psalms and kind of unpacking them, but they talk about fear quite a bit in there. It'd be excellent to read right now for all of us that are dealing with a million emotions, particularly fear. This is one of the things they say about fear. Fear is our response to uncertainty about our resources in the face of danger. When we are assaulted, by a force that overwhelms us and compels us to face that we are helpless and out of control. Fear is provoked when the threat of danger, be it physical or relational, exposes our inability to preserve what we most deeply cherish. It exposes us. That's what fear does. You know, right before all the COVID stuff hit, we were all feeling this. And even maybe after, I mean, we're still consistently, where can we find a place where we're not exposed, where we don't feel insecure? But I don't know about you, but I, I, it's easy to look at this and say, where are the moments where I can say, I got this, hold my beer, I got this. <laughs> and I can put my shoulder down and I can, I can be as in control as possible. But when I really am honest, my fear exposes the fact that I'm not that I don't have it. Again, 37, 38, verse 37 and 38, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking in the boat so the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, that is Jesus. He's asleep on the cushion and they awoke him. They're like, teacher, do you not even care we're perishing? The boat's sinking. What are you doing? What, what, it, it's not just pressing on their managing the fear. It's pressing on what our deepest fear is, that is Separation. It's that, are we really valuable or do we just see ourselves as expendable? Uh, before all this um, happened, Netflix put out, uh, actually there was uh, something in the Wall Street Journal about Netflix uh, work environment. It's very interesting what it was like to work there. And it's called uh, um, uh, a workplace of fear. The cult, ne sorry, Netflix, I speak for a living, right? Uh, Netflix culture of fear in the Wall Street Journal. It said this, managers are encouraged to regularly apply a keeper test to their staff, asking themselves whether they would fight to keep a given employee and firing those for whom the answer is no. 
Some employees, though, see the test as a cover for ordinary workplace politics, and the firings are as callous. One former Netflixer says she saw a fired colleague crying as she packed her boxes, and other employees looked away, fearing that helping her would put a target on their backs. This is a great example about how how we all feel. Are we expendable? I mean, the ultimate fears that we have are really about separation. They're things that we've actually been encountering even in these very moments of death, loneliness, destitution, isolation. That's where our heart's ultimate fear is. Again, cry of the soul says it this way from Dan Allender and Trimper Longman. At the heart of the fear of death is the terror of separation. Death is the ultimate experience of loneliness. When we die, those things and people who give us joy are gone forever. Indeed, when, we've, when seen apart from the gospel, death separates us from even ourselves. See what fear does. Fear, fear actually can distort reality and our relationships, both to God and to others. It distorts the way that we think that we should be in relationship. It distorts the way that we think we should live in this reality by searching and seeking things to protect us as much as we can. And so when they turn to Jesus and they say, do you even care? They don't actually know that Jesus, what he's going to do and what he can do. They're asking him, does he even care? Because all around them is chaos And they're wondering as their teacher and leader, and even when they look to for help, do you even care? What a great question. What a great question for us even now. In all of the fears, managing, not just the the managing the small things, but the greatest ultimate fears that we've had. God, do you even care? And what Jesus does so beautifully when he wakes up is to take their fear and say, your fear has everything to do with your faith. Your faith, where you're looking to. He says this in verse 40 to the answer. And after he awoke in verse 39 and rebuked the wind and the waves and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And then he said to them, that is, he said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now what he's not doing, Jesus is not saying, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? He's not saying fear is antithetical to faith. Actually, the the translation of have you still no faith isn't have you still no faith. Another translation is where is your faith? See, it's it's not faith is antithetical to fear. It's a focus from it. It's that fear reveals where your faith is. Where is your faith? And often, I think when we read the Bible, When we read passages like this one, it's easy to look at faith as something that's both either a quantity or a quality. That is a quantity. If I have enough faith or quality, if it's pure enough. But think about if we go down that road. What about what is happening to us right now? do, Do you need to have enough, a quantity? Is it enough faith that you pump in to the Lord himself? Say, God, I'm just, I have enough faith that I know I'm not gonna get sick. Or do I have enough faith that this virus is gonna release? Is that how it works? Or, Or is it a quality? 
Is it pure? How do you know it's pure enough? Is my faith pure enough to know that, that the Dow Jones is not going to affect me or impact my retirement or anything else in my life? That I'm going to be able to keep my job? Is, do I have a pure enough faith? Is it, is it that? Or is it a focus? Because how do you know you have enough? And what if you do get sick, as many have, who are professing Christians, who believe in Jesus? Does it mean they didn't have enough faith? Or if Dow Jones has affected you and me and all of us, that does it mean my faith isn't pure enough? See, the, the, the question here in the scriptures, the point the Bible's making over and over, isn't whether you fear, it's what and in whom you fear. It's a directive. It's where is your faith? See, faith isn't a quantity or quality. Faith is actually a focus, It's a focus on someone who's greater than. It's when your fears, right? When you encounter your deepest fears of life that you feel inadequate and unmanageable, what do you look to, right? You look to something. Your focus goes to something to provide aid, to make you feel comfortable, controlled, manageable. But what if everything about those things is not not? Just like we've felt, just like we've seen. See, God knows we have fear. And he's not necessarily saying to, Jesus isn't saying to them, why are you so afraid? And the fact that they wouldn't be afraid that the boat is messed up. It's, he's saying, where is your faith? Where are you looking at it? Where do your deepest allegiances lie? Because there are going to be storms. But where do you place your faith? You know, I've been watching a lot of, Movies with my kids and a lot of uh, re-watching old movies for myself. And one that I'm, some that I'm watching with my older son are the Star Wars movies. And, you know, to be a Jedi, the, the movie is really interesting in what it talks about. The old films begin by saying, oh, fear, fear has nothing to you. Oh, there's deep fear in you. Have no fear. You know, <laughs> like fear is antithetical to growth and relationship and um, what it means to be a part of the force and all those things. But you know what's interesting is you watch the movies progress and even up to the newest one, the rise of uh, Skywalker, that idea of fear changes quite a bit. And the idea of fear in that is not so much about not having fear, but the question starts becoming more in the movies is who is with you in your fears? See, that's what Jesus is starting to do. The point of this passage is Jesus is actually scarier than anything else we fear. (laughs) And that might not be what we think. Think about this for a second. In verse 39, it says, he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Can you imagine being a witness in that boat and hearing this voice on the boat and everything else around you? stopping. It not only says that, it says in verse 40, uh, 41, it says, and then they were filled with great fear. In fact, their fear didn't abate when Jesus said these things. It actually increased. They had more fear, not because of the storm, but because of the person in the boat with them. They're deathly afraid. What, what, What was this experience like? Uh, In the 19th century, there was a a German theologian named Rudolf Otto. 
And Rudolf Otto wrote quite a bit about encountering wonderful, mysterious, uh, and powerful things in, uh, in, um, in faith and what that meant. And he wrote a thing called the noumenal awe. What does that mean to actually come in contact with something that's so grand and powerful that it causes both uh, a, a, a complete terror and attraction at the same time? And three things that he writes about when people encounter this kind of noumenal awe, this mysterious fear that brings about this attraction and terror. He said, the first thing is a stupor. That there's like a blank wonder and astonishment and unapproachability, just a, just a, a blank woe. <laughs> the second thing is a shudder. That you're shaken to your core. You're left speechless. There's something inside you that's so shaken that's not just outwardly, that inside your entire being is horrified and shaken and, and fear. And then the third and final thing is a creature consciousness. That we're aware of our limitations. You become deeply aware of your existence, your unworthiness, and your need for a covering, your limitations, Think about what the disciples encounter here. They encounter in this passage a deep sense of unapproachability, unworthiness, creature consciousness. Listen to what they say in verse 41. And they were filled with a great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? It obliterated any fear that they would have had outside. The storm was long gone at that point. Now it's who's in the boat. In fact, when it says in verse 39 that Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea and said, peace be still. The actual words for it becoming calm, that when he says that uh, rebuking it, it, are the same Greek words for muzzling an animal. In fact, the words calm, be still are actually a language in Greek for that the, the storm, it became weary. It grew weary. It's almost as if this, that Jesus is showing that this beast that is the storm, it has just met its alpha in Jesus. That it's just met its alpha and it can do nothing but be still, muzzled, weary at the strength and power of the alpha over this, what is in some sense a pet to Jesus. Jesus, and and, and here's the thing that they recognize. Jesus doesn't just call on authority. He's not just calling down an authority. Jesus is the authority. This means he has all the power. This means he has all the strength. He's not manageable like the storm. He's not something that comes and goes. He is there and they are realizing what they want to help out, help them out of the problem. He is the answer. It is him. But he is far scarier because his strength, his power, and yet he is this close. He's standing right next to them. This boat couldn't have been that big. And yet something far unmanageable and powerful is right with them in the boat. Jesus is scarier. But here's the thing. He's not manageable, but he is far more merciful than the storm. See, Jesus is scarier, but he is safer. 
See, the question really becomes, where is your faith, right? Where is your faith? It's, it's not how little is your faith, it's where is it? Is it focused on the storm? Which, yes, we, we have fears about so much about the storm that's going on. Is it about that? Or is it focused on the alpha? Is it focused on who he is? Is it on who he is? Look, Jesus is is scarier than the storm, but he is far safer than the storm. I don't know if you noticed in this passage what Jesus is actually doing. He does minimize it. And I think sometimes we can make these kind of passages metaphorical or pull it out too much. He's actually literally doing this. But what he's doing here is he's, he's making the storm smaller, but the point of the passage isn't about him being so powerful that he can calm every storm in your life. It's actually about him not minimizing the storm. It's about him actually maximizing himself. He's making himself larger so that these men don't even remember the storm and even in a sense. They remember how large he is. Their fear is greater because of the one in the boat because they recognize following Christ doesn't necessarily mean that everything in your life is going to be smooth. It doesn't mean that. This passage is not about that. This passage is not to sentimentalize the, the storms that are going on around us. Be it literal, some of us have dealt with power loss and uh, trees down and damage to homes and so many things. You know, regardless of all the other things that have gone on during the coronavirus, but it doesn't mean that sentimentalizing that as if everything's going to be taken care of. But what it does mean is that he maximizes himself to say, you may go through so many storms and it may not be smooth. Following Jesus doesn't mean everything is smiley and happy and easy. But it does mean you are loved in every step and all the way through it by the one who is the alpha of everything you are actually going through. And he doesn't even minimize it. He maximizes himself. I think this is why Mark wrote and why Peter even gives him the language when he says this in verse 36. Is, and, they, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. They took him just as he was. There's nothing in his hands. He's just Jesus. There he is. And he's far safer. And here's why. He's far safer than the storm because he's the protector. You know, Jordan, uh, George Orr, as we call her, read uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible version of this right before. And I love that part in, the, in there where it says that when, <clears throat> when the storm heard Jesus' voice, of course, because it heard it before, the storm recognized his voice and calmed down. And here's what's amazing about Jesus. Think about this. Think about if the storm recognizes Jesus' voice, don't you think anything in your heart and anything in your life does as well? That no matter where in your heart and where in your life that you find it unmanageable and in fearful even to the point of separation, loneliness, and death, that his voice is strong enough to speak into that place because it's heard it before because it recognizes its alpha, because it knows his voice. 
how could Jesus, and maybe you're asking this, I hope you are like me, how, how could Jesus really be bigger than the sin, the mess that I see in me and, and everything around me? How could I see that in my life? If the storm recognizes his voice, don't you know the realities in any other place in this world are not hidden from his words? There's no amount of failure. There's no amount of separation. There's no amount of sin. There's no amount of mess. There's no amount of futility. There's no amount of fear that can take you beyond the words of his forgiveness, his words that come in. And it's not a promise. It's not a promise that that all of your life is going to work out perfect. But the promise here is, is that the storm is damaging. The storm is painful. The boat was messed. It messed up them. It messed up their boat. The storm in this life is messy. And it damages. But there is nothing beyond the irredeemable voice of Jesus in your life. There's nothing beyond it. He is unmanageable, but everything he speaks into is. Faith in the feel, look, faith in the fear of whatever failures you've had in your past, in your present, and we will in your future. Jesus' voice speaks into it. They, you're not beyond it. They recognize it. The corners of your heart that you hide from him and everyone else because you know that you feel inadequate as much as you put on the front because you want everybody to think you're adequate or in control or managing everything perfectly or, or fine. All of us are pulling our hair out right now. All of us are struggling with the, the question of perseverance and are we going to make it? And yet this voice of Jesus speaks into that. This is why Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1 Peter 4.12, he said this in a letter that Peter wrote. He said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Because Jesus leads them to the storm, but he wants to show them that he's much bigger. Questions there, does he care? Does he care? He cares so much. That Jesus would then, after this, not only calm the storm, but put himself into the heart of the storm of humanity. He would take on the heart of the storm of humanity's sin, separateness. He cares so much. He would answer their question with such a loud yes on the cross that he would take up every sin of the storm of this world. He would take up every separation, the greatest fear of our lives in his separation from his father, from his friends, from everyone. He, he would answer yes, resounding, so much so in even his own resurrection to say there is now nothing that can separate you from the love of God because of me. Do I care? Yes. Because I don't just speak to the storm. I let myself be destroyed by it and then come back in through it and destroy it. I muzzled it, not just with my voice, but by my life and my death and my resurrection. The storm will grow weary, but his love for us will never, ever, ever grow weary and faint. Praise be to God. There's no separation in him. Let me pray for us. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for this reality. Thank you that the disciples asked the question that we actually are all asking, that we've all been asking in our fears when all of our finances are threatened, our homes are threatened, our health is threatened, the deepest, not just the small manageable life fears, but the deepest ones of our separation, loneliness, death. We ask, do you care? And you resound back to muzzle the storm, to say, even as the storm is manageable, I am unmanageable and I may be scarier and bigger and I am the one to fear. I am more safe. I'm more merciful and there's no separation because the answer to that, that question of do you care is a resounding yes. See it, read it, know it to be true. And we pray this in the name and through the blood of the Lord Jesus, amen. Well, let's sing our doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Hear these words again from Peter, his own hand writing this from his own experience from being on that boat as our benediction. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Praise be to God for revealing his glory in Jesus. Go in peace and may you know that peace uh, in, in the Lord Jesus Christ this week. Amen.